Chapter Eleven of The Wind by Dorothy Scarborough. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Avai in September two thousand twenty one. Chapter Eleven. June passed into July, July into August, and still the drought continued. Hot as a six shooter, Sourdough said. The sand was like hot ashes heated from the furnace that was the sky and the furnace that was the earth, while the wind was an oven blast and the days were live coals dragged over the land. Old Pedro had a weather prophecy for every incident, every detail he observed, and he came often to see Letty and express himself as to what was in store for them. When they heard, or imagined they did, the sound of locusts droning, he shook his grey head dolefully. When the locusts cantar, that mean more drought. When the whirlwinds passed across the plain, moving spirals of sand silent and swift, he looked depressed. That mean no rain for yet, he muttered. A foggy morning was to him a bad sign, though Letty argued with specious optimism that fog should rightly hint of rain. You no know this land, senorita, this terra caliente, he said. When rattlesnakes came out in numbers, Sourdough muttered, That don't look good. They're moving toward water and away from a dry country. He killed a big rattler with eleven rattles and a button, as he boasted, and hung it over the fence to the starve-out to bring rain. That ought to fetch rain, he remarked hopefully. Light regarded it with gloomy eye. I bet they's a rattler on mighty nigh every fence post in this section of country. Every optimistic cuss like you is trying out the sign. But tain't no use, for all signs fail in a drought. It will rain when God wills, said old Pedro piously, as he lifted his gnarled hands toward the sky, and then crossed himself. "'But if you turn the snake on its back so the underpart shows it's said to bring rain?' contended Sourdough. "'Try it, son, try it,' mocked Lige. "'You might get your toy popgun out and practice shootin' rattlers,' Sourdough said to Letty. "'No, thank you,' was her listless reply. "'I don't know which I'd be worse afraid of to try to handle, a rattlesnake or a loaded gun?' "'Well, you want to be careful of the business end of both,' he chuckled. She scarcely heard him, for her spirit was in another country. In August, in Virginia, the lanes and meadows would be filled with flowers. The daisy fields would have faded now, but there would be bouncing bet, saucy and vagrant by the roadside, and stretches of blue chicory, like cornflowers, gay as a flock of indigo buntings that had lighted on swaying stems. Queen Anne's lace would be like cobweb in fairy designs held upward for the passing gaze. Wild morning glories would be climbing up every cornstalk in the fields, purple and blue and white, lifting their fragile frills away from the dew and the touch of the soil. The wild roses that had bloomed everywhere in June would have passed, for the most part, now, but a few would remain, 
white and fragrant and ephemeral as a young girl's dream of love before love has come to her ah what if one were still young still a girl in years but snatched away from wild roses and from girlhood dreams to perish of homesickness in a desert the jewel-weed would be dangling its lovely shining pendants in the sun golden filigree fit for fairies to wear the butterfly-weed would flaunt its bright orange blossoms by the roadside a lure for the multicolored winged things of summer up the dead stumps the fence posts clambering to tree-tops would be the trumpet vine with its scarlet bugles in the woods there would be wild lilies like indian maidens tall and rich colored while by the edges of streams the ferns would grow soft and green oh the little brooks that chuckled to themselves as they strayed through the woods and the meadows if only she might dip her fingers in their waters and cool her burning forehead she could close her eyes and see the still woods where the pines stood on tiptoe to peer into heaven but did they see anything there more beautiful than themselves where the oaks and the poplars and many another tree showed infinitude of restful greens and purplish shadows the sunlight like sifted gold making a patina in the grass grey-green trunks with lichens on them and little lizards darting up and down like idle thoughts benignant spread of branches where birds sang where squirrels frisked and chattered and little tree-toads croaked about rain she looked out over a desert plain her eyes ached from the hot sand that the wind blew in them and from the glare of the sun on parched prairies where no trees shaded the earth the wind was not so boisterous now as it had been in the winter and early spring but it blew steadily relentlessly till her nerves felt she could bear no more never a breath of coolness never any soothing moisture in the breeze but a hot dry blast that seemed to bake her brain that drove burning sand against her burning cheeks she could see the heat waves eddy up from the ground and shimmer upward in the sun visible signs of the torment the people endured she watched the whirlwinds race across the plain and remembered that they were prophecies of longer drought she would look yearningly at the sky for hope of a cooling shower but she saw only the heavens awful blue as clear as bright as glass with no clouds anywhere the buzzards soared clumsily overhead sometimes again there would be clouds a pageantry of colour at sunset and sunrise a wild richness of sky that seemed like the conflagration of a world then she remembered that sourdough had said those brilliant cloud effects came with drought and she turned with a shudder away from their beauty the only beauty that nature showed her here was a menace the wind blew the sand everywhere as high as she could see so that it hung a golden gauze between her and the sun shot through with light she watched the coppery sun stride across the blue day after day 
and thought of Lige's saying that a coppery sky in time of drought meant more dry weather. She saw few signs of life now. A horned toad would sometimes flash by her, its bright beady eyes glittering, its spiked body covered with horny protuberances like a coat of mail, or an ashen lizard would slip past. Sourdough told her one day, Horned frogs can squirt blood out of their eyes at you if you skeer em, folks says. After that, she was more afraid of them than of rattlesnakes. Sourdough tried to be jocose about the situation. Well, at least we ain't having no cyclones, he said to Letty one day. Folks out here say, never mind the weather so the wind don't blow. The plains in their terrible distinctness showed dead prairie dogs, dead jackrabbits here and there. They had perished for lack of food and water. Only the coyotes remained, and they prowled night and day, for they lived on flesh and grew fat on the bodies of the dead. There were no songbirds left, only the buzzards, carrion birds. Only the buzzards and coyotes were well fed. The great hideous birds were too gorged to fly high now, and flapped their wings lazily over the ground, above where the dead horses and cattle lay in stark attitudes. The desert mocked her with its mirages, showing her, across a stretch of yellow-gray sand with its clumps of bare grass and leafless mesquite bushes, the vision of green trees and still lakes with willows dipping down to them. Sunrise and sunset on the prairies were incredibly beautiful, as if a world about to be annihilated flamed up in awful, unforgettable glory as a last spectacle for the eyes of man. But sunrise and sunset were associated with the thought of Word Roddy now, and so she told herself she mustn't look at them nor think of them. She must forget. She mustn't remember that she had ever thought of him. She became nervous and jumpy, starting to hear the wind rattle the ragged, dried leaves of the yucca, peering to see the uncanny shapes that dusk made to flit across the plains. She felt that if once she lost control of her nerves, they would break beyond hope of recovery, so she kept a tense restraint on herself, a restraint that was more wearing than outbursts of emotion would have been. A shrewish fit of temper, or a hysterical spell of crying, would have relaxed her, would have done her good, but she did not know that. She was afraid to let go. At times she was acutely aware of all that went on about her, as if her consciousness were purely physical, a response to sense impressions, the sting of the sand, the hot breath of the wind, the acrid smell of dust, the rasping roughness of everything she touched, the taste of the unpalatable food in her mouth, the drone of the wind, the lowing of cattle, the sight of the barren desert. At such times she felt she had no mind, no soul, but was merely a bundle of senses that rendered a message of pain for each impression they received of their world. 
at other times she felt she was not there in the body at all was unaware of anything physical but conscious only of the psychical of her loneliness her longings her despairs she felt lifted beyond the physical into a realm of spirit that felt keener suffering as if her body had been stripped from her to leave her soul naked to pain at other times she felt a twofold suffering of sense and soul she began dimly to comprehend how women tried beyond endurance might sometimes go mad now and then as if deliberately torturing herself she forced herself to face each crude repellent detail of her environment to let the worst of it sink into her deepest consciousness the rough walls on which the torn strips of newspaper were hanging rent by the wind the lumpy sagging bed that no attention could make even the chairs with rawhide seats the table littered with pipes and tobacco pouches the old hats and clothes hanging on the wall because there was no closet the kerosene lamp that always seemed to smoke despite what she could do the sand and dust everywhere all sickened her she couldn't keep the rooms tidy because there was no place to put things away out of sight no closets no chests of drawers no wardrobes her soul longed for neatness and order but she was helpless to achieve it in her other life all that had been arranged for her without her thought lige and sourdough were preoccupied with the progress of their own financial tragedy they had thrashed out in talk between them all possible plans for saving their cattle but they could settle on no feasible means they had no money to buy feed even if any were to be had near them they had no wagons to haul it the long distances from the railroads and no horses with strength enough to pull the loads they say some folks have gone to east texas to put the case before the folks there and see if some help can't be sent out here said sourdough one day after a parley that ended in no conclusion of relief they can send food for the folks that need it but it'll be a hard job to get feedstuff for the critters out this far and off the railroads and all said lige dully and even if we had feed for em how would we get water here went on sourdough it be too much to tackle to haul water all that way for stock all we can make out to do is to haul out drinking water for ourselves yeah we've done everything we can think of to get water said lige true they had scraped the bottoms of the old water holes in hope of finding moisture farther down they had dug out places in creek beds so that perhaps springs once there might furnish drink but each effort was only a mockery there was no water you see honey we couldn't save em even if we could haul feedstuffs to em said lige one day the water holes is all dried up what is everybody else doing she gasped well the big ranchers have got deeper water holes than ourn 
They can dig down and maybe get up a little water that way. Them that are closer to the railroad can haul water from there that the roads bring in. Some of them shipped most of their cattle on the railroad before the drought got so bad. That has knocked the bottom out of prices too, so you couldn't get nothing for em anyway. It's a god-awful time. It makes a feller plumb sick to see the dumb critters suffer like this, when there ain't nothin' we can do for em, said Lige one day. Yeah, agreed Sourdough. It's enough to make you gag till you throw up your toenails. And this heat's enough to make your brain clabber. Letty was sick with sympathy for the suffering that she saw all about her. Gaunt, cadaverous beasts staggered about, tortured by heel flies that nagged them constantly, bawling in distress, searching everywhere for food and water. They had devoured every spear of the dried bunch grass and needle grass, every leaf and bean from the mesquite bushes, every stalk of last year's weeds, and now there was nothing, nothing. They came close to the house as if making appeal to their masters not to abandon them to death. Lige's face would twist as he turned away from the sight of them. Letty's eyes were dim with tears of pity she constantly shed for them. The lump in her throat and the weight about her heart never left her. Oh, Lige, isn't there something you could do for them? She burst out one day. He turned his palms upward in a gesture of helplessness. What can I do? I've got no money to pay for feed and water, no horses to haul it, no wagons to bring it, no credit to borrow on, if I could make out to get it here. His voice was leaden, his face grey, his eyes bloodshot. She twisted her apron in her hands and gave a shuddering sob like a hurt child. It looks to me like I just can't stand to see these poor things tortured so. He moved restlessly. I know. It ain't so easy for me neither. But I'm at my rope's end. And they've just got to starve to death with us looking at them. Her voice rose shrilly. His mouth set grimly. I reckon we'll have to turn our eyes the other way then. She strangled a sob in her throat and covered her face with her hands. She had never watched anything die. Her mother had slipped away in her sleep, so there had been no fear nor horror in her going. But to watch these helpless animals die before her eyes in slow tortures of hunger and thirst, how could she bear it? But she had to bear it. Unless she bandaged her eyes and stuffed her ears with cotton, she could not escape their torment. She had to see them as they milled around restlessly, tossing their heads, their long horns glittering in the sun. They pawed the ground as if to find food deep buried there, some greenness under the tricky sand, some water beneath the burning desert. She had to hear, day and night, their distressful bawling. 
faint with hunger and thirst they weakened themselves still further with their bellowing some of them threw their heads around to the side as if the torture of thirst twisted the muscles their tongues swelled turned black protruded from their mouths she had to see the cattle as they gathered round the dried-up water-hole close to the house to die while the buzzards waited for them to fall one by one the loathsome birds perched on their shoulders and pecked out the eyes of the still living creatures their mournful lowing was not so loud now but more like long drawn-out sobbing human very pitiful some of them went mad from thirst and fought goring each other to death one day letty stood tense and shivering her hands held over her ears to shut out the sounds lige touched her shoulders gently pobrecita he said poor little thing she caught her breath jerkily i saw dead cattle by the railroad track as i came out here her eyes showed horror at the remembrance Word roddy said it was the trail to the west i thought i couldn't stand it then but they were dead their torment was over he thrust his hands deep into his pockets and turned his tragic eyes upon her you made a bad move when you came out to the west didn't you pobrecita she laughed hysterically <laughs> the pastor fixed it up for me he thought it would be the best thing i could do he said he had prayed over it end of chapter eleven